All right, uh, up on the screen in just a moment, you guys are going to see a wrestling match from 1962 in Mexico. And the reason I'm showing you this is because the winner of this match was a man named Rodolfo Guzman Huerta. He was a very charismatic and athletic person, so he became a luchador. He became a professional wrestler. And uh, the thing that I think is so interesting about this man's story is uh, he tried out a couple identities. Uh, he wasn't uh, really getting over with the crowd. And then one day he put on a silver mask and he took up the name El Santo, the saint. And he quickly became the most famous professional wrestler in the history of Mexico. The interesting thing to me is that because his mask was what people knew him for, he never took it off in public for the rest of his life. Uh, <laughs> gets, it gets better. So he's from the 30s. From the 30s to the 60s, he's wrestling in these arenas across Mexico, probably audiences of 300, 400 people at the most, uh, but he's becoming really famous. He's probably the most famous athlete in all of Mexico. And then in the 1960s, El Santo was so famous that they came to him and they asked him to start starring in movies. So El Santo went on to become a movie star, the star of over 60 movies. But because he was known for this guy in the mask, you understand his dilemma. He couldn't take his mask off in the movies or that wouldn't be what people knew him for. So he went on to star in over 60 films, never taking off that mask. And for another 30 years, every time he went out in public, he had to keep up the facade of being in that silver mask. He was... <laughs> One of the most famous people in the history of Mexico, uh, but no one would ever see his true, uncovered self. Uh, each Sunday this winter, we're studying a story in the Bible where someone declares that they've been seen by God. Sometimes they're sort of these obscure characters that we don't know much about, and sometimes they're characters that are just overlooked by the other people around them. And tonight we come to the story of somebody who had been wearing a mask for a very long time. Everybody recognized him. He was King David. He was the most famous person in Israel. But he was wearing a mask. He was a big, big phony. And uh, nobody knew who he really was underneath that mask. Psalm 51 is about all the joy and all the growth that this man experiences when he realizes that God has seen him under the mask and knows him for who he really is. For all the good, but mostly for all the bad. So I want to ask you guys a question. Do you guys go through life wearing any masks? Not a luchador mask. That would be awesome if you guys wore those around town. Not that kind of mask. I think we're all wearing masks, if we're honest. Do you pretend to be doing great when the truth is that you're really hurting? Are your children or your marriage struggling while you pretend to be a happy family holding everything together? Do you carry a deep wound or a deep hurt, but just cover it with the mask of being a happy churchgoer? Do your family and friends think that you're somebody that you're not? For the next 20 minutes, I want to point out some beautiful things from Psalm 51. That's kind of this beautiful song or poem that King David writes after he recognizes that God has seen him for who he really is. So I want to point out 
four joyful, life-changing realizations that come over David when he realizes that God has seen him for who he really is. And David realizes that God loves him more deeply than the masked version of himself ever realized. I hope you guys got a bulletin when you came in and there's some notes in there. And uh, we're going to go through Psalm 51, that beautiful poem that was just read to us by the worship team. We're going to go through it in three quick sections. Number one, we're going to talk about the mask and the unmasking of David, who, who people saw him as, but who he really was. Section two, I want to talk about those four life-changing realizations that David shares with us in this poem about how wonderful it is to go through life with that mask off. And then I just want to wrap up with uh, two encouraging things for those who choose repentance, for those who choose to go through life honest about who they really are and what God has done for them. So uh, let's get started and I'll have some dinner together afterwards. All right. Let's talk about David and the things that we know about him and sort of the facade or the fake things that he carried along with. Uh, And I'm sure everybody here has heard about King David. Uh, There's a lot of uh, historical artifacts uh, that that show that he's a real historical person that, that really lived. And the Bible gives us beautiful details about what Israel was like at that time and uh, what this guy was, uh, who he was as a person. Uh, so let's kind of just try to all understand who people thought David was on a day-to-day basis, and we'll kind of come up with some sort of maybe American comparisons. We grow up hearing about George Washington, and he's called the what of our country? Father of our country, right? He was the first great, even before he was the president, he was the first great military leader uh, on uh, this um, in, in, in our country's history for the colonies. And so he kind of united these different colonies and he gave up the first federal army uh, and he drove off the British. Uh, and so he was just always revered for his military brilliance. As we read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, we realize that David was a very similar figure. He accomplished these military victories. He united the tribes. Uh, he made Israel militaristically great. So you can sort of think of David as a George Washington. That's sort of how his countrymen thought of him. You guys ever heard of Bobby Knight, the basketball coach? I dare you if you're ever driving through Indiana to step out of your car and say something bad about Bobby Knight. It won't go well. Bobby Knight in Indiana is one of the most revered person uh, that you could think of in any place. And the reason is because of the regional identity that he's brought to them. People in Indiana, for some reason, for hundreds of years, have thought that they're the best in the world at basketball. <laughs> and they do, they do. And in the, 19, in the late 1970s and 1980s, this guy Bobby Knight became the, the um, coach at Indiana University and recruiting mostly kids from the state of Indiana. He not only had an undefeated season, uh, but he won a few national championships. And so he is revered because he's given that region an identity, something they can be proud of. And in a similar way, as you read through the Old Testament, you know, God's people, the Israelites, they're often stomped on, they're often overlooked, but during the reign of David, they're great. And so they look at him as as, as providing this national identity that they can be proud of. And finally, uh, think about your favorite songwriter. Dave Matthews, Paul Simon, James Taylor. Is there anybody that's written songs that you just sit around and listen to over and over again and there's just 
something about the lyrics or something about the melody that just kind of makes you weak in the knees. And if you ever saw that person, you would just sort of fall apart because of their artistic brilliance. Well, David also wrote a lot of the Psalms that God's people have been singing for uh, 2,500 years since then. So you got this guy who is revered for his military success, the way that he's given his region an identity, and also his artistic genius. And you better believe that's the mask that David wore. That's the adulation that he received. That's the way that he often presented himself and thought about himself as any of us would if we were that successful in that many different areas. But if you really read through these Old Testament books, we see that under the mask, David was not a person deserving of our reverence and unrestrained respect. In 2 Samuel 11, we hear this story, and uh, it starts off in 2 Samuel 11, 1, saying, In the springtime, when the kings go off to war, and then the rest of the story is about how David, the king, did not go off to war. He stays in his palace. He has an affair uh, with a woman, and then to get himself out of the repercussions of that poor choice, he has her husband killed. Okay? That's one of the things that David was underneath the mask. He was time and time again a victim of his own unrestrained lust. And of course, he victimized others as well because of it. That's actually the very event that inspired this psalm that we're talking about today. But wait, there's more. 1 Samuel 25, we hear that before he was a king, when he was still just sort of this, uh, this, this guy that was traveling and, and, and fighting in these battles and taking over this territory, we just see the extent of how crude and violent he was as a person. And uh, in that particular story, uh, there's just a rich old man who has all these herds, and, uh, and David's manipulating him. He's, he's trying to get a payment. He's trying to get a tribute. Uh, and he's just really rough and crude in the way that he deals with this person uh, trying to take money and things that really didn't belong to, to David. Uh, another final place that I'll point to that kind of shows us the complicated person that David was uh, comes in uh, 1 Kings 2. And this is sort of David on his deathbed. And I just want to show you the two sides of the coin of who this guy uh, is and what he was like. So in 1 Kings 2, 2 to 4, this is what David on his deathbed says to his son. I'm about to go the way uh, of the earth. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience and keep his decrees and his commands and his laws and his regulations and do everything that it says in the book of Moses. Right? And so we read things like that and we think, wow, David was a good leader. David was a good father. David was a good man. But if you just keep reading another verse or two on, he says this on his deathbed in verses 5 and 6. Now you yourself know what Joab did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime, uh, and with the blood he stained the belts around his waist and the sandals on his feet. So deal with him according to your wisdom. Do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Right? And then uh, a verse or two later, in 8 and 9, he says, And remember, uh, Shemaiah the son of Gera who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mannheim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death. But now 
uh, you are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Do you understand what, what's happening here? Like there's part of David that's, that's what everybody sees him as. He loves the Lord and he's giving wise counsel. But there's also a part of him that's just constantly abusing his power. He's violent. He's vindictive. He's lustful. He's crude. Um, and so that's really uh, how we're supposed to enter into Psalm 51. Uh, he's accused uh, in that first story uh, by this prophet Nathan who knows all the duplicitous things that he's done. And at first, he's not willing to take that mask off. At first, he looks into the eyes of Nathan and he lies. And, and, he, and he's indignant. And he's like, I can't believe these things that you're saying are happening in my kingdom. I just, I want justice. I want good things. And Nathan says, well, you're the man. You're the one who's done these very things that you're so angry about. And uh, at that moment, David has a choice. Is he going to take off the mask? Is he going to be honest with himself about who he really is and what he's done? Uh, or is he going to continue to wear this mask and this facade that he's this faultless person that he's often seen as? Well, all that to say, uh, that helps us understand what David is, the brilliance of Psalm 51. Because in Psalm 51, David is finally honest that he is a violent, vindictive, lustful pretty awful person. And uh, that's just where the beauty of Psalm 51 emerges. And uh, I'd like to just sort of uh, touch on four things that we see in Psalm 51 that are just really transformative things for the better that David illustrates to us that, that, that we benefit from when we take off the masks uh, and uh, are just really honest with who we are and how God sees us. Just the liberation and the freedom that that brings. Well, the first realization that David has that I think is so beautiful for all of us, it comes here in the first two verses of Psalm 51. And the first realization that David has is that God has seen him under his mask. Because when Nathan came and accused him of these, these things that he did, like that could only have come from God, David realizes that God knows our sins, our flaws, our self-defeating behaviors, and he says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He realizes that he's a sinner. He realizes that these things that he's sort of been trying to keep on the down low, his worst flaws, God sees them. God has offered forgiveness. God still loves him. Do you want to know the last fascinating thing about El Santo, that luchador? Upon his own request, he was buried in his mask. Over 10,000 people came to his funeral, and there he lay in his casket with his silver mask. Some people will literally go to their grave unwilling to let anybody know the real version of them. And David could have easily done that. But what's so beautiful here is that he's willing to take off that mask and be, be real about who he really is. And he's able to do that because God has seen him in all of his flaws and God forgives him and God loves him. And that's what we see here in these first two verses. Another amazing transformation that we see that David underwent through this poem comes in verses 3 to 5. And it's that David, he becomes a repentant person. To be repentant means you understand that you're forgiven, 
You understand that you're flawed uh, and you're not going to go back to wearing the mask as soon as that whole awareness starts to wear off. A repentant person is continually aware of their own sinfulness and flaws and self-defeating behavior uh, and they're not going to ever overcome that realization and go back to pretending that they've got it all together and that they've never hurt anybody else. So David adopts a repentant posture. Listen to how it tells us that here in uh, verses 3 to 5. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and have done, and, uh, done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So we, hear, we see here that David realizes just what an unideal person he is from time to time, but he doesn't just come across that realization and just go back to the prideful life that he used to have. We see that this repentant attitude becomes something that's sort of characteristic of him for the rest of his life as evidenced through the rest of the Psalms that he writes. Another really important uh, realization that David has here is he, he understands that this cleansing and this forgiveness that he's received, it comes from God and it comes by grace. And I just want to say right now that if you guys don't really track or remember anything else that, that, that this psalm addresses, the biggest mistake that we make, whether we're churchgoers or not, is that we constantly feel like it's up to us to make up for all the bad things that we've done. It's, we, we outweigh all the bad with good. And, and, and of course, we can't ever do that, right? I mean, I can remember things, here's a moment of vulnerability, I can remember hurtful things that people said to me when I was in middle school. Anybody remember any hurtful things somebody said to you as a child? Now, they might be honest on their taxes. They might adopt a bunch of cats. They might do good things, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away all the years that you had hurt feelings, right? And so, so, of course, we can do good things. Of course, we can attempt to make reparations for the bad things that we've done, but it never fully erases the hurt and the wickedness that each one of us has brought into the world. And so David's amazing realization here is that the cleansing and the forgiveness, it doesn't come through our actions. It doesn't come from, from us trying to make up for the bad things we did, though it's super important that we try to not be hurtful, vindictive, violent, lustful people. But, but it's not our good works that erase those things that we need to be forgiven and cleansed from. And so I just want to point out some lessons from David and just in kind of two different ways. First of all, let me read what he writes here in verses 7 to 9. He says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And of course, this is a poem, so it's a little bit over the top because he's, he's having this big emotional realization. But do you guys notice the grammar in, in those lines? David's not doing anything. David's not doing anything to bring about the cleansing. All the, all the verbs, all the actions in those lines, God is doing the cleansing. God is doing the forgiving. And even though David lived over two and a half thousand years ago, that's an incredibly spiritual, perceptive thing that he's saying. 
Because even to this day, many of us will, will go home and in a couple of days, we'll, we'll try to make up for something bad that we've done. We still make that mistake thousands of years later, but David realizes that, that spiritually speaking, it's God that brings the cleansing. It's God that brings the forgiveness. And another interesting way that that's uh, indicated here, it talks in uh, verse 7, I think, about this hyssop. And it says, cleanse me with hyssop. Uh, and what that is, is that's sort of like a Middle Eastern branch that you break off of a tree. Uh, and back in Leviticus 14, it tells us that the priest would sacrifice an animal, dip this branch in the blood, and sprinkle it throughout the temple. And that would help people understand that it was now clean. And I know that's weird for us to think of in 2021. Let me explain it. So when people sinned in the Old Testament times, they would kill an animal, and when its blood poured out, that would represent forgiveness. And it's easy for us to think, wow, they must have really hated animals, right? But what that's communicating is that they actually revered life so much that the only way that they could conceptualize how bad their sins were was to do the, the, the only thing even close to how bad their sins were, and, and that was to take something's life, because the loss of life showed how sincere they were, how broken they were over the bad things that they had done. And so that blood was sprinkled with the hyssop, and I'm not expecting you to think that it's not weird, I'm just trying to conceptualize, I'm trying to give a context for what David's saying when he's saying, cleanse me with hyssop. He's saying, I'm, I'm so deeply remorseful. I'm so sincere in the things that I regret and that I'm apologizing for. Just like the temple becomes cleansed with the sacrifice, cleanse me like that, God. So he's talking about something that would have been familiar at the time. Uh, but of course, here, uh, having read the New Testament, we think about another time when we've been forgiven because of blood, right? Because we, we know throughout the Gospels that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that was sort of the fulfillment of what that Old Testament system was all about. And it tells us in the book of Hebrews and some other places that now blood has forgiven us and covered our sins once and for all. And that's why we don't still do that weird sacrificial stuff because Jesus Christ did it once and for all. And so David brilliantly recognized that there were some things that he was never going to be able to atone for. There were some things he was never going to be able to cleanse himself for on his own good works with his own resources and that God was going to do the forgiving and that God was going to do the cleansing. And in the same way, we know through Jesus Christ that the things that we can't cover for are, are, were forgiven uh, because of the act of Jesus Christ on the cross and taking our place in judgment. It's beautiful how that all ties together. Let's start to wrap up with this. Like, what next? So David wants to be a repentant person. And uh, in the rest of Psalm 51, he comes up with a couple uh, just sort of gauges for us that are helpful for us to think through. Uh, the first one is this. He embraces the contagiousness of repentance. Listen to what it says here in uh, verses 10 to 13. Uh, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And we, and we sing that and we write that in our, we circle that in our Bibles and we're like, I want to have that sort of spiritual attitude and listen to the next verse. And then I will teach transgressors your ways 
so that sinners will turn their back to you. In other words, what David is, is saying here is that he is committed to living out the rest of his life as a spiritually broken and honest person. It would be so easy for him to just have this realization that he's forgiven and just go back to being a creep. That's, that's what a lot of us do. But he's committed to, being, uh, to remaining an honest and broken person because he knows the positive effect that's going to have on other people. And when other people are in his presence, and when other people see that he's living without any masks, and that God has seen him, and God still loves him, he knows that's an attractive thing that's going to have a positive impact on others. I'm going to talk about something political, but I'm not making an overall political statement. Have you guys ever been watching the news, and they get on and they start talking about student loan forgiveness? you guys ever heard them talking about that on the news? Now, when I was 24 years old, I would have very much been for that. As I graduated as an undergrad and had huge student debt and, and, and had to, it impacted the car that I drove and the rent that I paid and the food that I bought at the store, I would have been very much for student loan forgiveness. Man, I would have quickly voted for anybody out in front of that. But what, what's happened in the 20 years since? paid off those loans tiny bit by tiny bit and one day you get every month it's like the loan is owned by a different person that's so irritating but then you finally get the note that says like it's it's paid off in full and it's right around that time when the politician gets on and starts talking about student loan forgiveness and you're like no way <laughs> I, for 20 years i paid my debt and now now some 24-year-old students just going to have that paid off for them? And we do the same thing spiritually. We go to God with some burden that's just bigger than we can handle. We're, we're experiencing some burden that's just beyond uh, what we can handle. And, and, and we have that Psalm 51 moment, and we feel seen by God and forgiven by God. And we're so for it. It's so beautiful. And then 10 or 11 years later, we come across another person with a similar struggle and we're like, well, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps so you just got to try a little bit harder and work yourself out of trouble and we do the same thing spiritually that I think that illustration paints. But David embraces the positive effect that spiritual humility and honesty will have on others so he's not going to become that person that one day is against student loan forgiveness when he understands how beautiful of a role that played in his life. Another thing that I think is really important to point out is that as a result of David being seen and forgiven and loved, he is, has a commitment to be a worshiper. Listen to what it says here in verses 14 and 15. Uh, you, you, God, are my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Uh, listen to this. I think this is super important for our congregation. There are so many great things to do around here, even on Sundays, that coming to church can, can, can sort of get left by the wayside. Sometimes we're just like, well, I'm feeling full. I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm going to go take a hike. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to ski a little bit longer. What, what we're learning here is that David's commitment to being a worshiper keeps him a humble and repentant person. So what I would challenge you guys with is by committing to be a worshiper and coming here and singing with us 
and praising God for the forgiveness and the good thing that he's done to us, it keeps our hearts soft. It's something that we do for God because he asks us to do it, but it's also something that we do for ourselves because it, it keeps us from having our soft hearts scabbing over. If we want to have that attitude that David illustrates here in Psalm 51, we have to have that commitment to worshiping God and thanking him for the things that he's done for us as well. And along with that, I'll just wrap it up here. In verses 16 and 17, uh, David has a commitment to spiritual humility. Remember how we talked about how, how in those days, if you were a sinner, you made a sacrifice, you brought an animal to the temple and its, its blood came out and it showed how deeply remorseful you were for your sins? Well, David realizes that that's not exactly what God wants. Because in verses in 16 and 17, it says, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That God you do not despise. Uh, in other words, God, God doesn't want us to climb to the top of the ladder uh, and then be like, yeah, I'm so successful and I still love God. That, that's not what he's looking for. He's not, he's not looking for a huge financial donation. He's looking for us to live uh, with a contrite, repentant heart. Uh, so in just a minute, the worship team is going to come forward. Uh, and right before they do, let me wrap it up with, uh, with two things that I think are super encouraging from the life of David for us to choose to be repentant people. First one, uh, I won't go there, but I'll just bring it up. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, somebody's talking about how bad King Saul is, and they're talking about how the next king is going to be way better. And, uh, and they're talking about King David, and they say the next king is going to be a man after God's own heart. And there's a little bit of tension in that because we started off today's sermon by talking about all the terrible things that David did. He wasn't a perfect person, and by a lot of metrics, he wasn't even that good of a person. Yet all the way back in 1 Samuel 13, 14, God says that he's great. God says that he's a man with my own heart. And what that teaches us is that God judges greatness in people differently than we judge greatness in people. We like the resume. We like uh, youth and attractiveness and money and uh, being dynamic at different skills and professional expertise. And there's a lot of things that we look to to define greatness. But what we're learning here through the story of David and through the things that God is saying about him is that repentance is the key to greatness in God's eyes. If you want to be great in God's eyes, choose repentance and be a person who's honest about who you are and what God has done for you. Last thing, this is really beautiful. Uh, Christmas season is coming up. We'll be talking about some Christmas stories for the next couple of weeks. And in Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we can't have the worship team come forward now. We're ready to conclude. In Matthew chapter 1, it starts off with the genealogy of all the people that make up the, the family tree of Jesus. That's how the Christmas story in Matthew starts. And in Matthew 1.6, it's talking about David, who was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uriah, of course, is the man killed by David to cover up that affair that he has that inspires Psalm 51, the, story, the, 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 the poem that we're talking about today. And the encouraging thing about that is when we do choose repentance, even the worst indiscretions get worked back into God's plan. Right? Like That was a scandal. That was a national scandal. That was the worst thing that David ever did. But he was repentant, 
And it's worked into the story, the birth story of Jesus. Repentance brings even the worst of indiscretions back into God's good plan. So uh, I thank you guys for letting me talk about uh, Mexican wrestling. That's not something you get to do a lot. I thank you for just considering for a second that we all do wear masks and it gets tiring. And sometimes we get known more for the mask than the person that's underneath. Uh, And I thank you for taking a moment to read through Psalm 51 and consider the transformation that comes when we duplicate David's attitude of being a repentant person. And let's think about that as we wrap up with the final song or two.